Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, What's in a Name? What's in a Name dives into the history and significance of the names of God found in the Old Testament. During this series, we'll drill down into eight of the Hebrew names for God and learn what they reveal about who God is for us. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. Before we jump into this message, we're going to release the children in grades K through five uh, through eight to go to their classes. So if you would like to go, you are welcome to head down to the children's ministry wing. So we're in the middle of this series called What's in a Name? And hopefully you have had the opportunity to pick up one of these books that we put together for you, for your own personal spiritual growth, your own ability to go deeper in God's Word. We want to encourage you to work through the, each week uh, on your own, but also to join a life group where you can work through that with other people and go deeper in community and relationships with people and also with God. So we're in the third week of this series, and uh, I'm excited about today's series, so why don't we dive in? Because today we're going to look at the ancient Hebrew name for God, which is uh, Jehovah Nisi. And uh, we find this name in a section of scripture from Exodus 17. And when you get to that section of scripture, you see that the Amalekites, they're an enemy of Israel, they have attacked Israel. And Moses has gone to his second in command, and he's given him some instructions. And so he says, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. And this is what happened as things proceeded. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of the nearby mountain. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. And then they stood, one on each side of Moses, holding his hands up. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in the battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. And so Moses built an altar there, and he named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. And he said, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne, so now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. So before I go a little further, let me just uh, clarify something. So you may have heard, uh, I called the name of God, uh, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi. And here in the New International Version, uh, excuse me, the New Living Translation, it says Yahweh Nisi. What's the difference? Well, truly, there, there's no difference. You need to understand something about Hebrew, uh, ancient Hebrew. Ancient Hebrew had no vowels. They were just consonants. And, and on top of that, ancient Hebrews... We're told never to speak the name of God out loud. 
And so we don't know actually how uh, the word translated either Yahweh or Jehovah was spoken because there's no record of how it was spoken. Now, what has transpired in the years past, uh, scholars have actually put vowels into the Hebrew letters. Uh, they use the first letter for the Hebrew word uh, Adonai, A, and then Elohim, E, and they insert it uh, in the Y, H, and W to get Yahweh. Now, as uh, things went from different languages somewhere along the way, particularly in German languages, that Y would be pronounced as a J uh, in uh, German. And so those consonants were changed in different dialects. And so we have two different pronunciations, Yahweh or Jehovah. What's, what's the difference? Well, actually, neither, because ultimately they mean the name of the Lord our God. So just to give you that, if you ever hear in this series, us go back and forth between Yahweh or Jehovah, you'll know that. So this ancient name, as all of them, are, are really special because they tell us something about God. And in fact, Moses recognized this immediately, and that's why he built this altar, and he gave it the name Jehovah Nisi, because Moses knew that God did something miraculous here. It wasn't the armies of Israel that won the battle. It wasn't what Aaron and Hur did that made them win the battle. It wasn't what Moses did as, as he took the staff of God and he held it in the air. It wasn't what he did. It was what God did. And Moses understood that God had won the battle. And, and Moses did something that had been a practice going back to the time of Noah. He built an altar because the Israelites wanted to commemorate and worship God when he did something significant. And so they would build altars because they wanted to be in a continuous attitude framework of worshiping God. They wanted to make sure that they did that. And, and oftentimes uh, they would name that place, just as Moses names this Jehovah Nisi. And so that's important because you need to understand that, that whenever God did something significant, they wanted to stop and pause and worship God. And sometimes they would actually name it. Now, the reason I'm holding this staff, somebody made for me years ago, is because I think it's important for us to, to know something, that Jehovah Nisi literally means... Jehovah, or God, is my signal pole. Now remember, Moses was holding a staff. Many of our modern translations will say that Jehovah Nisi means the Lord is my banner. So why the difference? I mean, the reality is this. In the ancient Hebrew, there was uh, this idea contained uh, no allusion at all to something that was fabric or cloth. Uh, in those ancient days, when they wanted to make a signal to somebody, they would use a pole. And so uh, Moses had this staff, and so we read in the scriptures that, that when he held the staff, the battle was won, and when he brought it down, they were losing it was a signal, and that was the importance. Today, though, we use flags and banners more for signals. So I want you to think about this for a minute, how we use flags and banners. Flags indicate the, uh, the, uh, the identity of a nation or of a state or of a city or of a group or, or of a team or something else. Uh, 
we commonly know that when we want to commemorate the death of someone important or value, what do, valuable, what do we do? We lower the flags to half staff. And we all universally know what that means. Some of you may have some uh, uh, sailoring, sailing knowledge. And before there were electronic communications, sailors all knew that they had a, a many different flags that they would carry on their boat and there would be flags, a different flag for every letter in the alphabet and every number, zero through nine. And then there would be a couple of other flags that communicated something. And you could put those together and communicate to other ships or people on land if you were having trouble with your vessel. You see, flags are something that we identify with communicating a message and we're going to explore that today as we talk about this ancient Hebrew name, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. So here's the first thing that I believe that Jehovah Nisi tells us. It reminds us that God is present, that God is, is present with us. You know, if, if you go through the book of Numbers, you'll see that there were banners, or you may have called them standards, that were used for each of the tribes of Israel. Each one had their own uh, tribal signal pole, and they used it to identify their tribe when they gathered. So I was thinking about this. Think about the parade of nations at the Olympics. You know, when the Olympics start, You'll see that parade of uh, the, each country that is participating, because not all countries do. But what happens? At the beginning of that uh, field of athletes from that country, there will be somebody marching with the flag of that country to signify what? That that country is present, that they are there at those Olympics. Now, you may have noticed in the Winter Olympics uh, earlier this year that uh, there was no Russian flag present at the Olympics. And that was because the uh, Russians were being punished for their doping, uh, their athletic doping that they had done in previous years. Of course, there was a, a group called the Russian Olympic Committee that was uh, allowed to have Russian athletes compete. But here's the, the thing. At the Olympics, there was no Russian flag allowed. And so when those athletes came in, they, they, rushed, they marched in under this flag of this entity called the Russian Olympic Committee. And when those athletes won medals, they did not win them for Russia. Uh, when the flag was raised at their medal ceremonies, it was not the Russian flag. Again, because Russia wasn't there. It was the Russian Olympic Committee flag. And the Russian national anthem was not played because here's the deal. That flag would symbolize the identity of that country present. And so we understand this idea. So let's go back to the battle of Israel with the Amalekites. And we'll find out, uh, uh, see that uh, we may not find out that there were any flags, any actual fabric flags, but Moses had this staff. And that staff communicated something extremely important to the Israelites. So let's go back and read verse 9. 
Moses said, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Today, I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Moses tells Aaron what to do. He says, go and pick your soldiers. And so he does. And Joshua does that. Moses says that you're going to fight the enemy. I'm going to go to the top of the hill and I'm going to hold the staff of God in my hands. Now, it sounds like Moses has given himself a rather safe and insignificant job until you realize what the staff means. And so let's, let's back up in the history of the life of Moses. When God called Moses to lead Israel out of the nation of Egypt where they were enslaved, Moses was just a shepherd. And shepherds use staffs. And so he had a staff with him. And when God called Moses, Moses was very reluctant. He says, I, I, I don't want to go. Who's going to listen to me? How can I prove to them that you've called me? And God said, Moses, take that staff in your hand and drop it on the ground. And he drops it on the ground and it turns into a snake. And then he tells Moses, now pick up the snake by the tail. And as soon as he does, it becomes a staff again. And then we see that staff featured prominently as Moses goes to see the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. In fact, that staff becomes instrumental in many of the plagues that are brought on Egypt. We see that the, the plague of the blood in the water is brought by the staff touching the water. We see the plague of frogs, the plague of gnats, the plague of hail, and the plague of locusts are brought on with Moses following the command of God to do something with that staff. And then, of course, the climax of the exodus out of Egypt is when God calls Moses there at the Red Sea to take the staff and strike the water and the waters part. And the Israelites walk across on dry land. And then just right before this battle with the Amalekites, Israel is in the desert. They don't have water. They're thirsty. And so God tells Moses to take the staff and to strike a rock, and water flows from that rock. So we understand uh, the power of what was going on here with this staff. And it's important for us to know that, that Moses said to Joshua, go into battle, and I'm going to go to the top of the hill, and I'm going to hold up the staff of God. Because everybody knew that when he held up the staff of God, that meant that the Lord Almighty was present with them and that they would be able to defeat their enemies. But I don't know about you. I don't know how long I could stand like this. I don't think I could stand all day like this. And certainly Moses couldn't. And he got tired. And so he would bring his hands down. And when he brought his hands down, the Israelites were losing the battle. But then when he regained some strength, he put his hands back up. And the Israelites would win. But, but eventually... He just became too tired. And so Aaron and Hur decided, look, we're going to help you. So they got a rock for him to sit on. And then Aaron came alongside one side and helped hold his hands up with the staff of God. And Hur on the other side, holding up his arms so he could hold up the staff of God. And they defeated the Amalekites. Because God, Jehovah Nissi, was present with them. 
So the importance for us here in 2022 to know that God is Jehovah Nisi means that we need to recognize that God is present with us, that he's over us, that we are not alone. Here's the second thing I, I believe Jehovah Nisi tells us and reminds us. It, it should give us courage. You know, historically, in times of uh, war, at the front of an army marching to war would be the, the flag of that army. And in a time of war, when a nation's flag was flying high, it represented that those in the, that those in the battle uh, were with the nation that was under control. And, and we, when soldiers saw their flag, they knew that that was something to rally behind and fight harder for. So think about that. Over the, over the past eight months, Unfortunately, we, we've had a front row seat through television to see a war that's been raging between Ukraine and Russia. And, and the war uh, has been awful. And we've watched with horror as a sovereign nation has invaded, uh, been invaded. And, and we've watched in horror the death and destruction from this war. But if you were paying attention this week, you may have heard that the Ukrainian military was able to retake some of their land. And as they retook, retook town after town, they did something really important. They would go into those towns and they would tear down the Russian flag and they would raise the Ukrainian flag. It was a way to demonstrate to everyone that this was now under Ukrainian occupation, that they had been liberated and restored to their sovereign nation. And people celebrated and people cheered and they cried tears of joy because their nation's flag flew over them again. Raising the flag is a symbol for them of national success and pride and evidence that they are succeeding in their war with Russia and it encourages them and they rally behind it as civilians and soldiers. I think about that in the, in our, the own history of our nation. You remember, hopefully, that famous battle fought on the island of Iwo Jima in 1945 when the U.S. Marines raised the American flag atop Mount Suribachi. We've all seen that, that iconic, famous photo of the event with the, with the soldiers leaning in to raise the flag. And reports of that day say that when the soldiers on the beach and, on the, nearby, uh, and the nearby ships saw that, they, they cheered and they sounded their horns as they saw their flag raised over their battlefield, making them realize that the victory was near at hand. Now let's go back to the battle scene in Exodus 17. And let me read through those verses again. So as long as Moses held that staff in his hands, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands... The Amalekites gained the advantage. So Moses' friends, Aaron and Hur, came and helped him hold his arms up. When, when the Israelites saw the staff of God raised, they were encouraged. They understood that God was with them, and they were encouraged, and it filled them with strength, and they began to win the war. But when Moses grew tired and lowered it, they suffered because they became discouraged. Seeing the staff of God reminded them that God was with them in his might and his power, and it encouraged them to fight and win. And so eventually 
Aaron and Hur did whatever it took to help Moses keep his arms raised up. And they won the battle. But again, it wasn't for anything that a human did. None of the Israelites were responsible. Even that staff, that stick wasn't responsible. It was the fact that Jehovah Nissi was there with them and encouraged them. The significance of the fact that God has called our banner under which, think about this, under which we live our lives, under which we follow him and serve him as believers, has implications. So we, we've talked about the fact that, that it reminds us that, that God is present with us when we recognize that he's Jehovah Nissi, our banner. It encourages us when we recognize that he's our banner. But knowing that God is Jehovah Nissi should also cause us to reflect about how we live our lives. You know, it's really a sad reality that it seems that almost every other week we hear stories of how someone has taken advantage of another person and abused someone in some unthinkable way. And the sadness is oftentimes compounded when we learn that the abuser was someone who was supposed to be an advocate for people, someone who was supposed to be a protector of the vulnerable, someone who was supposed to be a champion of people. How can people who have a calling and a position to help others betray that calling and that position and abuse fellow human beings. Knowing that God is Je our God, Jehovah Nissi, needs to cause us to reflect how we live our lives. Last night, I had, last night, last month, I had the opportunity to, to uh, do something on my bucket list. I, I wanted to go on a civil rights tour of our country. So I traveled to Georgia and Alabama and went through some of the, the major civil rights locations in our country. And one of the most impactful places that I went was the, the National Memorial for Peace and, and Justice in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. And... Um, it's sometimes better known by its nickname. Its nickname uh, is uh, rather foreboding. It's called the Lynching Museum. Uh, and it's a memorial to the legacy of enslaved black people, people who were terrorized by lynching, lynching uh, African Americans who were humiliated by racial segregation and Jim Crow laws and more. And it's set on a, a six-acre site and the memorial uses sculpture and art and design to contextualize the racial terror of lynching. And the site includes a, a memorial square. And in that square, there are 800 six-foot monuments to symbolize thousands of racial terror lynching victims in the United States and the counties in the states where that terrorism took place. Now, as you enter the memorial, you're, you're confronted with row after row of these six-foot-tall monuments that, quite honestly, as I looked at them, realized they're in the shape of coffins. And I've got a couple of pictures that I want to put up here. They're a continuous row of memorials. Uh, they're in the alphabetical order of, the, of states and then county and engraved on these monuments are the names of over 4,000 lynching victims. Some of those monuments have one name on them. Some of those monuments have dozens of names with the name of the person and their date of birth and the date they were murdered. 
at their lynching. And when you enter the monument, excuse me, the memorial, the the monuments are suspended from the ceiling and the floor gradually slopes away. Initially, they're they're right at uh, my height. But as I went, and you'll see on the pictures behind me, the floor slopes away and they hang above you. And um, it it was powerfully moving. Um, You know, let, let me do something just to clarify the definition of lynching. A lynching is a killing of a person by a mob of people for an alleged offense without a trial. All right, so when you learn about the sad history of lynching in in our country, you'll discover that the reasons a person uh, was lynched were never proved. And oftentimes, they were for such minor things like a man was lynched because when he spoke to a policeman, he didn't say Mr. So-and-so, he just said so-and-so. A wife was lynched because she was trying to protect her husband from the lynching mob who lynched him and then her. Many of those lynchings were public spectacles with thousands of people attending in a carnival-like atmosphere where refreshments and souvenirs were sold. Lynchings were advertised in newspapers and, and entire families attended them and pictures were taken of the deceased and turned into postcards. But Who were the people who did the lynchings? The people who stood by and watched them? By all accounts, they were people from all walks of life. Leaders and others. Many of them, obviously, who professed to be Christians. Because think about this. These... This was a time in our history when this was considered to be a Christian nation. And so, these Christians were living their lives under the banner of Christ, but actively and passively approving of the lynching of other human beings. You see, knowing that God is Jehovah Nissi, the the Lord is our banner, then should cause us to ask ourselves, am I living my life in a way that brings honor and glory to God? Consider these New Testament passages. They instruct us how we're supposed to live our lives. Jesus said this, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. With that in mind, we have to ask ourselves, am I living my life under the banner of God so that other people will see my good deeds, not for my glory, but for the glory of God? The Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament these words, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So we have to ask ourselves, am I living my life under the banner of God so that whatever I do glorifies God? The apostle Peter, who walked for years with Jesus, wrote these words. He said, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We have to ask ourselves, Am I living my life under the banner of God so that my, the words that I speak and the actions that I commit praise God? 
So as you can tell, my uh, trip to the lynching museum was powerful, and, and many times I, I found myself in tears. And, and as I walked through that memorial, I did something that I soon realized was, was really naive. I felt compelled. Thinking about all the places where I've lived, in North Carolina, in Minnesota, in Connecticut, I felt compelled to go and and look up the counties of the states that I have lived in to see if there were any lynchings in there. So I went to the counties I lived in in North Carolina, and I was pleased to see that there were no lynchings in those counties. I went to the county I lived in in Minnesota. I was pleased to see there were no lynchings there. I already knew that there were no lynchings at all in the state of Connecticut. And and for a moment, a, a brief moment, I felt good. But then I realized... That doesn't mean lynchings didn't take place where I had lived, where you have lived, where all of us have lived. Because the over 4,000 lynchings that are recorded in that museum, that memorial, are the ones that are reported, that came out of newspapers. Now, this was an awful time in our history. It makes it, what makes it even worse, as I mentioned earlier, is that in the history of our country, this was a time when everybody would have agreed this was a Christian nation. And yet, under the claim of being a Christian nation, innocent men and women of color were being lynched with very little pushback from this Christian nation. Even our Congress had several bills presented to be anti-lynching bills, and they were never voted on. So this brings us back to this idea of God as Jehovah Nissi. As Jehovah Nissi, he's present with us. As Jehovah Nissi, he encourages us knowing that he's there and that that he flies over us like a banner. But we also have to reflect on how we are living under the banner of God. So let me throw out a couple of questions. They're going to be on the screen behind me. And if you use the Bible app, they'll also be in the, you know, right there in our outline. These are questions that we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis. Here's the first one. Am I living a God-honoring life? Is my life giving glory to God when I'm in public and when I'm in private? Are my words spoken to others God-honoring? Are the words and the posts that I put on social media accounts glorifying to God? Am I complicit by my inaction when I know someone else is being harmed, but I don't do or say anything to help them? Hard questions, difficult questions. Here's the thing, if these questions make you uncomfortable, if they make you feel guilty because you know your words and your actions haven't been glorifying to God, don't run from those feelings. Let that conviction drive you to repent and ask God to forgive you. And if you know that you've harmed somebody else, ask them to forgive you too. The Bible gives us a guide to how we should live our lives. In the book of Philippians, we read this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and then speak them and do them. Knowing that God is Jehovah Nisi should encourage us. But it also needs to convict us and say, if the banner of God is flying over me, I'm so glad he's present with me and that's going to encourage me. But am I living a life that honors the fact what God is doing? And then we need to do something about it. So let me just encourage you with some next steps. Go back to those questions. Review them. Repent of anything that you realize is not God honoring and make those changes because repenting doesn't mean just confessing. It means turning the other way and stop doing that. I would encourage you to get one of the what's in a name books today and start spending time in God's word. You'll find daily scriptures that will be, you'll be encouraged to read and reflect on. And then in some workbook questions, you'll be encouraged to dig deeper in your faith. And then consider joining a, a life group, a, a small gathering of adults who get together to read the Bible, to study it, to pray, and to build community. Because we're better together. We should not be in this walk with God alone. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and uh, close with our final song. But, but as they do, I want to encourage you and invite you into a time of prayer. And I'm going to begin this prayer time in silence because if there's anything you need to talk to God about right now, if there's something you need to confess, something you need to repent of, I'm going to give you that space and that silence. And then I'm going to ask God to help us live faithfully under the banner of Jehovah Nissi. Let's pray. So God, as we gather here, we thank you that you are Jehovah Nissi. And now, Lord, hear our silent prayers. God, we thank you that you hear our prayers, our confessions. And you remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. Thank you that you are the Lord who is our banner, that you fly over us, that you desire for us to live under that banner. Lord, we are encouraged by your presence. And we want to reflect on that every day, that you are with us, you're present, and that you encourage us to follow you and glorify you in everything we do and say and how we live. So Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, encourage us, embolden us to be faithful followers of you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.